Well, let's go. Come on, who's excited to be at the church family this morning? Make some noise. Welcome out to church on this Super Bowl Sunday. I think it's Super Bowl Sunday every Sunday for the church. Everybody says Easter is Super Bowl Sunday, but I think it's every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Let's see who we got in the house. How many are pulling for the Chiefs tonight? Come on, get your hand up pulling for the Chiefs. Anybody Chief fans? Or just make some noise if you're pulling for the Chiefs. Let me see your hands. Stop here. Okay, five of you. Great. 49ers? Come on, 49er fans. Taylor Swift, anybody pull up her? <laughs> yes, she's not even playing, but anyway, all over the news, I know, it's so, I'm just joking, it's so much fun, but anyway, man, it's so good to be with you guys this morning, welcome everybody to our Ashland campus, everybody online as well, thank you for tuning in as we continue in this series on Esther, but before we do, I got a commercial break to make. Last semester, we kicked off these things called Family Nights, and uh, man, we had a blast. It was so much fun. We went through the book of Revelations. How many of you enjoyed that? Well, you went, if you were here, you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. Well, this time, instead of going to the end of the Bible, we're gonna go to the beginning of the Bible, we're gonna go through Genesis. And so we're super excited about going through Genesis together. And so if you wanna talk about creation, evolution, and then in Genesis chapter six, before the flood, these big Nephilims, the giants that came down like the sons of God, and they had children with the human ladies, and they have demigods, I guess, or something. What's that? If you ever read that or thought about that, uh, we're gonna talk about it. So it's gonna be so much fun if you like to be part of that. However, not this Wednesday, guys, that's Valentine's Day, just letting you know, so not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, we're gonna be kicking off these family nights and we need you to do us a favor. I know it's a commercial break, I need you to do us a favor though, real here. If you can grab your phone and you can either go to our app, which I encourage you, grab our app, it's awesome, it's amazing, great content there. Go to the event section and click family night to let us know. You can scan the QR code in front of you. There should be a QR code somewhere in front of you. Or surely you can text. So you can grab your phone and text the word family to 606-268-9436. And what's gonna happen, you're gonna get this link to register. Now listen, you don't have to register to come. It just lets us know because we have material that we wanna give you that night. And we wanna make sure we have plenty of material that night. And we also need to know if you're gonna bring your children because we have childcare available so we have enough people serving in our kids' ministry. So if you could please do us a favor, that'd be so great. You don't have to do it to come, but we wanna make sure you get some material and we have something for your children as well. So we're in part two of this series called Esther. And last week kind of shocked a lot of people. So many people came up to me and said, man, I didn't even know it was in the Bible. Like I gotta go home and read the book of Esther. So if you missed last week, let me give you a really quick recap. So we had this king who stuck on himself so rich, so wealthy, parades and stuff around, throws a six-month party. Ever been to a party that lasted six months? That's a long party, y'all. After the party, had an after party. That lasted seven days. He took all the men and went into the garden, left all the ladies in the palace, the ladies for seven-day partying. Like it's 1999, all the guys went out in the garden and they party. And on the seventh day, king is tipsy, he's wasted, he showed off his big kingdom, he showed off all of his gold, he showed off his garden and his vineyard, and now he wants to show off his wife because the Bible says she was hot, she was, she's a cutie. And so he goes and summons his wife to come wearing nothing but the crown in front of all of his drunk buddies. He wanted his friends to see how hot his wife was, and she refused. She said, ain't no way in this world I'm gonna do that. Well, the king writes a law that no longer can Queen Vestas ever be in my presence ever again. And now he says, let's try to find me a wife that's more worthy than she is. Four years have passed. King goes to Greece, gets whipped at Greece, and things didn't work out. He comes back home, he remembers Queen Vesta. I need a queen, I have concubines, but I want a queen. I want someone beside me at all 
times. And one of his attendants came to him and said, well, sir, well, why don't, I, I saw this before, so why don't we do this like bachelor party, so this bachelor show, and let's get all these young, beautiful virgins to come to the king's palace. Let's prep them, let's get them ready for a one-night stand with the king. And whichever has the best one-night stand with you, king, that could be your queen. And the king's like, that's a great idea. Let's make that happen. And so he sends out all the attendants and everybody goes and tries to find all these beautiful young virgins to bring, against their will, by the way, against their will, into the king's palace. Well, then enters Mordecai and Esther. Esther is an orphan. She was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. Mordecai raised her. She's young. She's beautiful. She's a virgin. And she's Jewish. And no one knows. No one knows that she's a Jew. No one knows that Mordecai is a Jew. And so they take Queen Esther and they get her ready and she found favor with all the people. They gave her all the great handmaids and for six months all the beauty prep and then the next six months all to get the hair, the nails, everything done right now because everyone got ready. It took her 12 months to get ready. How long does it take you to get ready, by the way, for some of you all? Come on now. It took her 12 months to get ready for a one-night stand with the king. Well, as the king had all these one-night stands, you always ask, why did she, he pick Queen Esther? Because she wins. He doesn't know she's a Jew yet though. And Persia, where she's now gonna be the queen, is modern day Iran. So could you imagine having a Jewish queen over all of Iran? So just put this, listen, this is crazy. And so he picked her and it says this, it says that she didn't request anything from the king. And I just wonder if the king thought, this girl ain't a gold digger, you know what I'm saying? This girl just don't want everything she wants because the Bible says that the women can pick anything they want after the one night stand and the king kept giving them all the stuff they wanted but Esther didn't want anything. So the king picks her. And now she's queen. And now here's Mordecai, who's working for the king at the king's private gate, sits there, and he hears these two thugs, T-Rex and Big Thana, said they're gonna kill the king. So Mordecai hears it, go tells Esther, who's his cousin, who he raised as a little girl, who's now the queen of Persia, hey, someone's about to kill your husband. You might wanna go find out about this. King looks into it, and we need to pick up with the story in chapter two, verse 23, so we can see, because it's very important here at the end, and we're gonna go through the next few chapters. So in verse 23, it says, when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found out to be true, the two men were impaled, oh my gosh, that's horrible, impaled on a sharpened pole, terrible way to die. This is where I wanna get there. This was all recorded, everybody say recorded. Recorded in the book of history of King Xerxes' reign, aka his personal diary his journal. Everything he did every day was recorded. King Xerxes did this. King Xerxes, he ate fruit. King Xerxes, went, King Xerxes said this. Everything was recorded. So this was recorded. That's very important because we're gonna get back to that just in a moment. And now we pick up on chapter three. And this is where the evil plot, the evil plot begins. Man, I'm telling you, this book's amazing. You should go home and read it and study it. Time passes, a guy named Haman enters in the scene. He's, he's an evil guy, and the king promotes him to be the most powerful person in all the empire except the king. He's like the vice president. He's under the king. And all of a sudden, the king says, listen, people should bow down to you because there's, you, you are a great, great guy, great dude. And all of a sudden, here comes Haman. He's walking out the city gates, and guess who works the gates? Mordecai, the Jew. Mordecai stands there and watches Haman walk by. Haman is he is so upset because everyone's supposed to bow to him. Mordecai didn't bow. So the people went to him and said, hey, bro, listen, what's up? Why ain't you bowing down to see Mordecai here? Why, why, I mean, Haman, why ain't you bowing down to him before? He goes, I'm not gonna bow down to some man because, see, he's a Jew. And when you bow down, bow down is an act of worship. And I am not gonna worship a man, I'm a Jew. Now, he's not like this big saint practicing Jew because you can read all the way through this story. It's a very immoral story. He said, I'm not just like, because he, he told her to hide his identity. But I'm a Jew and I ain't gonna worship this guy. Well, guess what happens? Haman finds out. Look what happens in verse five. 
When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show respect, he was so mad, filled with rage. He had to learn that Mordecai's nationality. So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews through all the empire of Xerxes. By the way, 127 providence, twice the land mass of the United States, so put that how big that is, and 44% of the world's population is under King Xerxes. That's a lot, a lot of people, though, and that's a lot of Jews. So, so Haman was so mad, he was fierce, he goes, I'm gonna find a day that we're gonna kill all the Jews. And so what he did, he went and grabbed some dice. Anybody play dice before, roll dice? Dice is kind of chance, right? Get dice is about lux. Luck, this is called poor in Hebrew. These were poor. So he went and grabbed the poor, he grabbed the dice, and he says, let's roll them, and he rolls the dice, and he goes and he tallies up the numbers, and he says, okay, I got it. On March the 7th, next year, we have one year, I'm gonna write a decree that every single Jew is to be destroyed because I hate the Jews because of this Mordecai will not bow down and show respect to me. So look what Haman does, verse eight. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, there's a certain race of people, I'm not gonna tell you who they are, <clears throat> the Jews, scattered throughout the providence of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from any other people for they refuse to obey the laws of the king, which AKA bow down to me. So it's not in the king's best interest to let them live. So if it pleases the king, let's issue a decree that, may, that they will be destroyed and I will give you, watch this, I will give you, because I know you're struggling with grease, they kind of whipped you up and stuff, but I will give you 10,000 large sacks of silver that you can put, the governor administrators can put in the royal treasury. So I'm gonna give you 10,000 bags of silver if you'll do this. And the king's like, well, I mean, if they're not listening to me and it's a threat to me and you're gonna give me some dough, I mean, this is pretty cool. And so the king agrees. And the king takes his ring off and he hands the ring to Haman. Write whatever decree you want. Take my ring, put my signet ring on it because when the king ring stamps it, it is irrevocable. I'll talk about this next week. It's irrevocable. It cannot be Change. And so Haman dictated exactly what to say and sent out to all the providence. In verse 13, it says, dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the providence of the empire, giving the order to all the Jews, young, old, women, children, must be killed, slaughtered, annihilated on this single day. What day is it? It's scheduled to be happened. Why? Because we rolled the dice on March the 7th of next year. And if you kill a Jew, if you do it yourself, the property of the Jew will be given to those who kill them. So you can take all their house, you can take their plunder, you can take every bit of their stuff. Again, that's very important as we'll look at next week. And then verse 14 said, when the decree went out, Susa, the capital where the king is, was confused. Everybody's like, why in the world would the king wanna kill the Jews? I mean, I know this guy next door, him and his family, great people, the kids obey, they're pretty nice. I mean, they're kind of strange a little bit, but I mean, they, they got customs, but they're, they're cool people. So everyone was confused, why? That's very important because Satan is the author of confusion. I'm here to tell you, when you see a group of people who want to annihilate the Jews, I'm gonna tell you who's behind it, Satan. Satan has been behind it from day one, and I'm not trying to be mean here. There's so many people just ignorant of history, of biblical history. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're holding up signs that says, from the river to the sea, we will be free. It's Palestine should be set free. They have no idea what they're talking about because from the river to the sea is all the land that God promised to the Jews. And when you see people, and there's more anti-Semitism today than ever, ever has been in the history of mankind. There's more people in this world today who hates this tiny little country have you, come on, it'll take you a nanosecond to turn on the news and it's all about Israel. What's going on in the Middle East and the war and the fight? 
Why is this happening over a little tiny country? Because every, anywhere where there's anti-Semitism, there's Satanism. And Satan is behind it. And Satan is behind Haman right here, doing everything he can, watch this, to annihilate and destroy the Jews. Why does he do that? He doesn't know he's a puppet. He doesn't know he's being played by Satan. Because Satan found out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God was going to send to the seed of Eve a man who's going to come and strike Satan's head, a.k.a. Jesus. So Satan knows if I can destroy the bloodline, if I can destroy the seed, if I can knock out the Jews, then Jesus would not have to be born. So all through the Old Testament, he's doing his best to annihilate the Jews. But this is what happened. Jesus comes. Jesus dies. Jesus gets out of the grave. That's a good place to say amen, by the way. He gets up out of the grave, and now he ascended to the Father and says, I'm going to come back to my people. So today, Satan is trying to destroy all the Jews because if he does, then Jesus won't have to come back. But I'm here to tell you he'll never succeed because Jesus is coming. So we see this all through the scripture, and you see it played out there. Be careful the organizations, the people that might sound good, that tickles your ear, trying to free a group of people, that there's a move behind it named Satan who's trying his best to destroy the Israelites, even to this day. Why in the world is the whole world uproared of a small, tiny population group of people? Because they're God's covenant people, and Satan wants to destroy them. Until there's an antichrist who shows up who has false and fake peace with Israel, and that's gonna happen, there'll be no peace until this happens. Folks, listen, they've been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. It should not shock us. Okay, keep moving, chapter four. So Mordecai receives a degree. Mordecai was going to the, everybody's handing out the flowers like a rave party, handing all these flowers out. What's the decree? Read the decree. On March the 7th, all the Jews are going to be killed. And he tears his clothes, rips his clothes, puts ashes on his head and sackcloth, and he weeps and he mourns. He makes his way to the city gates, which he is, where the king's gate, which where he guards it, but he can't go in. Why? Because there's a law. You cannot enter into the king's gates with sackcloth and ashes on. Well, word gets back to Esther. I don't know what's going on with Mordecai, your cousin. What do you mean? He's weeping, wailing, mourning, sackcloth, ashes all over the place. Like he needs a new wardrobe. Something's wrong. She sends him clothes so he could come in, but he refuses the clothes. Well, go find out what's wrong with Mordecai, my cousin, who raised me. Something's wrong with him. And they came, and he says, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. He gets upset. He says, the king, on March the 7th, is going to destroy all the Jews because of Haman. Gave him 10,000 pounds, 10,000 bags of silver to put into the royal treasury. He issued a decree and everyone's gonna die. So would you please go tell Esther, who's a Jew, but the king don't know she's a Jew, yet to go tell Esther to tell the king to save her people. Esther responds, verse 10. That's in chapter uh, four, by the way, verse 10. It said, then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the providence know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out a golden scepter. The king has not called me now to be with him in 30 days. So there's a law. If you step into the king's presence and he doesn't hand out his gold scepter to you, boom, you're executed on the spot. Doesn't mean who you are. If I just approach the king and the king didn't call me, he's gonna kill me. So listen to what Mordecai says. And honestly, this right here is the, this is the epitome of the whole book of Esther. Like when you study the whole book of Esther, it's right here. This is the nugget. This is the spot. This is the place. Mordecai sent word to Esther, and look what he says. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at this time, this, now here's what Mordecai, he, he has some deep roots because this is where his faith comes in. He understands there's a covenant keeping God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows that because look what he says. Verse 14, 
if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but for you and me, your relatives, we're gonna die. Now, what is he saying? God is a covenant-keeping God, and God cannot lie, and God will always have a remnant of Jews. You may try to wipe the Jews out. You may do everything you can. There's always gonna be a handful of Jews that God is gonna allow to survive. So I might die, you might die, but God's gonna deliver his people because he's a covenant-keeping God. So we see the faith of Mordecai kind of rising up right there. So that's pretty cool. But then here it is. The most famous statement in all the book of Esther is found right here. Who knows? Perhaps. You were made queen for such a time as this. Maybe when I was captured in Babylon and then brought to Persia, we remained here. You were an orphan. I adopted you. I've raised you. You, against your will, was taken to the king for a one-night stand. You won. You were put the crown on. Maybe, just maybe, that God worked all this out for you to be the queen of Persia, modern-day Iran, who's a Jew, to save all the Jews in the providence in this world. Maybe. You know what some of us would call that? Man, that was luck. Man, that was lucky, dude. I mean, you talk about being at the right place at the right time. You ever said that before? You ever said, man, that's just coincidence. I lost my job, and then the very next week, I got a better job I ever had in my life. I can't believe this. You know, I thought I was gonna do this and all of a sudden this change and this happened. I can't believe, it. I'm so thankful. It was just coincidence. Ever said that before? I'm here to tell you there's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as happenstance. There's no such thing as being at the right place at the right time. The only thing there is, is the invisible hand of God moving and working in your life. That's what it is. Hang tight, I'll come back to that just in a moment. Esther replies back, and here's a famous statement that people make from Esther too as well. She says, okay, go gather together all the Jews of Susa, fast and pray for me. Do not eat and drink for three days, night or day, and my maids and I will do the same thing. We're gonna fast, we're gonna pray, we're gonna eat, we're gonna do everything, fast for three days. So get a plan here. And though it's against the law, I will go into the sea of the king. And she says, if I must die, I must die. Or the famous translation, if I perish, I perish. Or for all my Lord of the Ring and Hobbit fans out there, if we burn, we burn together. Come on now, if you haven't said it, you gotta watch it. I'm sorry, I just love it. And so she goes, we're gonna die, we're gonna die together. If I die, let's die. And we see something change right here in Esther. Her Jewish roots, her upbringing from Mordecai, Yes, against her will. She knows you don't marry a pagan Gentile. She did. Against her will. You know you don't sleep with somebody have sex before you're married, but she was forced to. She did. All of these, she's named after an Eastern goddess, Esther, Esther. And so all this paganism. So the scripture here is not saying, look how good and morally is Esther and Mordecai. That's not the theme of the book. The theme of the book is God's not mentioned anywhere in it, but you can see him all over it, behind the scene. And she says, if I die then I die. And then Mordecai went out and did exactly everything that she said to do. And then in chapter five, it says on the third day, the fast was over. She got up, she went to the inner courts and she put her royal robe on. She got her hair all did. She's looking nice and she's standing there. And she walked by the hallway where the king would be sitting on his throne so the king could take a look at her and maybe perhaps he would extend the golden scepter. Well, she's standing in the court all the way outside down the hallway with the king and the king sees her in a distance and he holds up the golden scepter and she walks into his presence and the king says, what do you want? I'll give you, I'll do anything for you. I'll give you half of my kingdom if you want it. 
and she sits there and she thinks for a moment. She goes, um, um, I tell you what, let's throw a banquet because the way to a man's food, can I get a witness? Come on now, let's throw a banquet. And uh, would you, just you and Haman, could you bring this Haman to the banquet and, and then I'll tell you then. And the king said, sure, great, go, go get Haman. They went and got Haman, the Haman's sitting there, and Haman's like, they're drinking, and Haman's now they're eating. Everything's going great, everything's good, and finally the king looks at her and says, okay, we're all here at the banquet, us three. What do you want, Esther? I'll give you half to, up to half of my kingdom. Now, here it is. The wicked Haman who wants to kill the Jews who have no idea that Esther's a Jew to the king who says, whatever you want, I will give you. So if the king says, I want him dead, the king would kill him. Everything's ready, on the spot. But look what happens, verse seven. Esther replied, it says, this is my request and my deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, comma. And she pauses. She hesitates. She gets cold feet. She's afraid. You can't see it. You can't feel it, but it's the rest of the story that, that something happens because she says, um, well, okay, I tell you what. Can you come back tomorrow? I'm gonna throw another banquet for you and Haman tomorrow, and tomorrow, I promise, tomorrow I'll tell you what it is. Why does she not just go ahead and do it? Have you had a gut feeling in your life? I don't think it's right. I don't think I should go right now. Some, some, I, think it's, I think we need to pause right here. I think something needs to take place. I think there's gonna be, I'm hesitant. It could be fear, it could be afraid, but God would even use your being afraid and fearful. Something that's like, I just don't know if I should, and you waited, and you're thankful that you waited. You ever been there before in your life? You see, what she doesn't know, we know because we have the whole story, is that God wasn't finished setting up the scene for what's to take place. So Haman goes, oh my gosh, I was invited to a private dinner with Queen and the king, and then I get to come back tomorrow, and so he is living high on the hall. He is feeling so good about himself. He walks down to the king's private gate. He opens the gate. And guess who's on the gate? Mordecai. Everyone falls down but Mordecai. And the Bible said he raged with anger towards Mordecai. And he went home to his wife and his friends. He said, look at me. Look how wealthy I am. The king promoted me to be the second most powerful person in all Persia. Look at all my sons and my kids and my grandkids and everything, how God's blessed me with a large family. The queen and the king only asked me for a private banquet dinner with them. Who is better? But none of it's worth it if I have to walk by every single day of my life and look at that Mordecai the Jew who will not respect me, who will not bow down to me. So his wife said, I'll tell you what you do. Go outside and make you a 75 foot pole. Tomorrow morning, go to the king's palace. Said, King, we want to kill Mordecai. I want to impel, put Mordecai on his pole. King will do whatever you ask if you're that important. And Haman said, that's a great idea. And he went outside and made a 75-foot pole, sharpened the end of it to impel Mordecai on and raise it up so people could see Mordecai the Jew impaled on this big stick. So guess what happens? It's crazy. I mean, this is crazy. Verse, chapter six, verse one. Look with me. That night. Everybody say that night. That night. Not last night. Not the night before. Not some night. Not three years ago night. That night. You see, the scene wasn't prepared yet. 
for what God wanted to take place. So Esther pauses, changes plans, prepare another banquet. But that night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered the attendant to go get the book. What book? The book of his life, the book of history, of his reign. The book, remember, when Thana, Big Thana and Teresh tried to kill Mordecai and they wrote down in the book, in chapter two, that Mordecai saved the king, that book. Well, the king's lander cannot sleep. They open up the book. Guess what page that opens up to? Well, let's just open up the story about Mordecai saving the king. And they look here and read. And look what happens in verse two. And those record records were discovered in account how Mordecai had exposed the plot to Bichthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door of the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate the king. And then the king says this. What reward or recognition did we do for Mordecai? And the attendant said, uh, so we didn't do nothing. You mean you didn't say thank you? No. No Starbucks gift cards? No. No steak at Malone's? Come on. No crumble cookie? Like you didn't get this boy nothing? No, sir. Hmm. And all of a sudden the king heard a sound outside. He said, what's that noise? They walk over and they look and said, it's Haman. Haman's down here in the garden at the palace. He said, what in the world is Haman doing here this early in the morning? Tell him to come up here. Haman comes into the presence of the king and the king says, Haman, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. And he says, what should I do to honor a man who's truly pleasing to the king? And Haman said, who in the world is more pleasing to the king than me? And then Haman said, I know what I do. Here's exactly what I do. Go get the king's royal robe. Check. Go get the king's royal emblem and put it on their head. Check. Go get the king's royal horse put them on the horse and then find the most noblest official to guide the horse, walk through the city square, says this is what the king does when he's pleased with someone. See, he thought it was about him. Oh, this is so good, this is so good. Look at verse 10. Excellent, the king said. Quick, take the robes, take my horse, do exactly what you said to Mordecai the Jew. Is this not hilarious? Like you can't make this stuff up. He's coming to ask the king to kill Mordecai. The king says, no, put him on a horse and prance around town and say, this is what I'm gonna do to somebody who pleases the king. This, this, this is so good, this is so good. And he did exactly, he said, leave nothing out. So Haman, instead of putting a stick through his chest, puts a robe around him, puts a crown on him, puts him on the royal horse. And Mordecai leads the horse. This is what the king does, who pleases the Lord. Everybody say, that night, See, he wasn't ready yet. God wanted to elevate Mordecai. God wanted the people to see Mordecai. They wanted them to see in their eyes how Mordecai has been elevated. See, he wasn't ready yet. And so he, he dropped Mordecai off and he ran home and he was so embarrassed and so humiliated. And his wife and his friends said, bro, listen, you better leave this Jew stuff alone. You're gonna die, man. This, this, you, they've already humiliated you. It's over. It's over. And while they were speaking, the eunuch said, hey, don't forget, the queen and the king has a banquet with you. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. So they grab and they rush him and then they sit down. Queen Vashti, there's the king, there's Haman, they're eating. And then chapter seven, verse three. Queen Esther replied to the king because the king asked her a final time, what do you want? Don't play these games. Whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom, I will give you. Now the time is set. Queen Esther said, I, if I found favor with the king, if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. 
For my people I have been sold to, those who will kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If it had only been merely sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would, not be, that would be too trivial of a matter to warrant to disturb the king. And the king said, who would do such a thing? Who would be so presumptuous to touch you? And then here it is. She gets to point her finger. The wicked Haman, our adversary, our enemy, he's the one that plotted this. He's the one that wants to kill us. All the Jews and the king went out to the garden and he was furious. And he goes, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna take care of this Haman? I can't believe he bought my right-hand man. I trusted him so much. He plotted this against my wife. I just found out she's a Jew, but still it's my wife. And so the king marches in and watch this. This is hilarious. This is so funny. Haman, Haman is begging Queen Esther for his life. The Bible tells us, begging her. She's reclined back on the sofa and he is literally begging her. And the Bible says, you can't make this up. The Bible says he trips over the sofa, falls on, Queen Vest, falls on Queen Esther. He's on top of her when the king walks in. And the king said, how did, you would even touch my wife in my palace in front. That's not what he, he, he fell on her, but that's what the thought. And as soon as he said that, a sackcloth came over Haman's head. And they said, what should we do? The king asked. And the guy said, well, last night, Haman made a pole 75 foot tall to impale Mordecai, who saved you from assassination, to be killed. He says, then take him and then, watch this, impale him on the pole that he created for Mordecai. And you may be sitting here and you're like, <laughs> so what? Thank you for the odd, crazy Bible story. Well, what's that got to do with me? has everything to do with you. Because maybe, perhaps, God has brought you to this place, to this city, for such a time as this. You think it's your job that moved you here. You think it's because you got the scholarship. You think it's because of a program. You think it's because your family roots go deep, deep, deep in this region and you stayed here because this is where your family tree is. So you think it's all because, but listen, perhaps such a time as this, I'm here to tell you that you were here bigger than your job, your paycheck, your degree, your education, your sports, your family tree. God has you here bigger for something bigger than that. For such a time as this, God has brought you to this place. And somebody's like, I can't stand it here. I can't wait to get out of here. I hate my job. I hate this place. Why did God bring me here? And you know this to be true. If you've lived any time of your life, there's gonna come a point you're gonna look back in time and you're gonna say, man, what the enemy meant for evil, God used it for good. I can see when God took me there, what he was doing in my life. And so I, I, I want to tell you this. One, you are not here by mistake. You're not here by accident. God woke you up and brought you here today. Period. Seek him and find out what he wants to do in your life. For some of you right now, you can't hear God, feel God, see God, sense God. And you say, God, are you even here? Do you even care about me? My marriage is going south. My kid's gone wayward. I don't like, I'm, a, I'm lonely. I'm away from home. I've got anxiety. I've got depression. I hate my job. God, do you even care about me? Where are you? And that's what I love about the book of Esther. And that's really the main point of it. God is not mentioned anywhere in all the book of Esther, but his hand can be seen everywhere. 
And though you can't see him and though you can't feel him and though you feel like you don't hear him, I promise you, he is there right now, watch this, sketching out with his invisible hand his purpose and plan for your life. And God will use pure hell in your life and success in your life to get you to where he wants you to be in your life. And so maybe God wants to use this thousands of year old message to encourage you that even though you cannot see his hand, you can trust his heart. That God in his sovereignty works everything out, not to your pain, not, not for your pleasure, but for his glory. Because at the end of the day, he will be glorified. So don't walk out of here thinking, I'm here by chance. I'm here by luck. I'm here by coincidence. I was at the right place at the right time. It's just happenstance that this happened to work out. Next time something like that happens in your hand, I pray that you would stop for a moment and go, this is the invisible hand of God working all things out in my life. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. You know, maybe the Lord brought you here this morning to open up your eyes that you would see Him. That you would give your life to Him. That you would repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Him. And you're like, I don't know if God can love someone like me and I don't know if I get it. Listen, <laughs> if you still have breath, you still have hope. It's God's grace and mercy he woke you up this morning and gave you a second chance, a third chance, a fifth chance, a 16,000 chance. He's patient and long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. And maybe that's why he brought you here today. Or maybe for the rest of us, it's just to remind us when we can't see him, sense him, feel him. When there's a pause, when there's a stop, when there's a, a moment that we hesitate, maybe because we have discernment, maybe because we're fearful. Either way, God will use your sinful decisions, your great decisions, your good decisions, your bad decisions, your best decisions, your free will in your life and will still work his sovereign providential plan. So instead of asking God, why me, why here, why now? Start asking God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do to serve you? Where I'm at right now. And I'm telling you, that will change your life and your perspective. Father, we thank you so much for this age old book. We thank you so much that God, this story was captured. We thank you that you placed it tucked in right there in the Old Testament. That God, we will learn to see and look for your activity even when we have no clue what's going on. Because God, you are always working behind the scenes. And you will orchestrate everything for your glory, for your purpose. And so God, may we be men and women who just submit to your will and follow you.
And even though we have questions, even though we have doubts, even though we don't know why, even though that we can't see, we will trust you. For it's your name we ask and we pray. Come on now, and everybody say, amen, amen.